What's going on guys? My name is Dean Diaconis, real estate agent in Tampa Bay. And today I have Jonathan Roby with us, mortgage lender. I've known him for a long, long time. He's a Chicago native, both Illinois guys right here. Moved down here to Florida. And I wanted to address something because I know you all are seeing in the news and everywhere that the real estate world is in shambles. You know, home prices dropping, all this and all that, interest rates rising. So I think it's important to get the perspective from a mortgage lender on what is actually going on. So, Jonathan? Awesome. Well, thanks for, for having me. And uh, I, I got to tell you, uh, our story, I think, is the most special. When we started moving to Florida was during the pandemic, I remember. It was like at the height of the chaos. Rates were at their lowest they've been historically. And it was a feeding frenzy as a, as a buyer market. And I remember you and I won the deal here that made me move to Florida because of a poem. I remember that was one of the strategies at the time that worked. Now, a poem might not work as much as it did back in 2020 or at all, if that's the case, right? But I really loved how you and I navigated that real estate market then and the real estate market we're navigating through now and, and the different ways that we had to adapt, right? So... I'll say that, um, you know, I think this conversation is absolutely necessary to have. And a lot of people who are on the fence, who aren't informed, um, you know, with what's really going on are at a disadvantage. They're thinking they need to be on the on the fence waiting to buy when, in fact, you know, it's a simple step of getting pre-approved and starting the shop. So I think um, I think this is great that you're doing this. Yeah, it's uh it's it's one of the biggest hurdles that I've come across on both sides, not just from uh, from buyers, but from sellers as well. Like from a buy side, it almost seems like like the there is an anticipation for things to absolutely crumble, you know. And then from the sell side, they're saying, if I sell now, where do I go? Yeah. You know. So it's it's important to get the idea from somebody like you who does this stuff every single day yeah. and um, give your input. Yeah. So just right off the bat, what? The difference, I know you said we're both from Chicago, you know, what is the difference between Florida and Chicago in terms of lifestyle and real estate and all this? What have you seen that's the biggest difference? I would say the biggest difference is inventory. Um, there's a huge demand here in Florida in comparison to, I would say, the Illinois or Chicago market. But even then, people are still overbidding on list prices in Chicago in certain markets. So it's really relative. Um, but I would say the, the biggest difference is um, there's a lot of migration from Illinois to Florida. I don't see very many Florida moving to Chicago, for example, or, um, you know, I see a lot of moving trucks coming into Florida, which, you know, if demand and short inventory, that's what's raising these prices, you know. So year over year, Florida Tampa market has actually met already a, a higher purchase value. That's already in the in the mid 400s is the average median home being sold right now is in the mid 400s. That's very comparable to last year. So, you know, I think once clients who are on the fence realize that there's really no better way to buy in the market, you got to position yourself to be informed on buying a house that's affordable. That's the best way to navigate this this market right now. Okay. If you can buy, you should buy. It's better than renting. Yeah. What's the alternative to buying? Renting, unless you're living for free, but otherwise you're paying rent. So if you're waiting for interest rates to drop, my recommendation would be, well, let's look at your current scenario. What's your interest rate right now? Renting, 100%. All right, well, if I was to show you a way to shave off 95% of that or 90 or or 94% or of that, you know, would you be interested in learning more? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. What uh, inter- you said interest rates. What what about interest rates? I know that's that's a hot topic, mm-hmm. right? Interest rates they're they're high. There's a lot of anticipation that it's going to go higher. Mm-hmm. What are you seeing with your clients? Where do you see this trend going? Mm-hmm. Is there more upside to interest rates, or have we pretty much reached? So I like to say that you shouldn't make the exception the rule, right? So. The 10-year treasury, if you look at the market from 1980 to right now, the biggest dip was three years compared to the rule, right? So this is the exception. This is the rule. The average interest rate historically is 8%. The exception of 3% shouldn't be the rule. So when everyone is waiting for 3% to come back, it's likely not going to be the case. So I always like to paint this picture for my clients when they ask me interest rate, right? Because that conversation comes up often and usually premature. Um, if you're asking for interest rate and you don't have a contract, there's no, um, there's no way for you to lock your interest rate in advance unless you pay for a program like Lock and Shop, which we can go into you know, further later. But you know, there's really no way to secure your interest rate unless you have a property or a contract to lock the rate to close on. Right, right. So talking about an interest rate you know, when you're first starting the home buying process is very premature. So where I was going with this was that when you when you shop for a mortgage, you're really trying to find out what you qualify for. And then from there, we find what's an affordable payment and then you can purchase a home that's affordable. But imagine being in 1980s and saying, I'm going to wait to purchase a home until the rates come down to 3%. You just went 40 years without earning any equity. You could have paid off a mortgage in 10 years at that point. So what I would recommend to any fence sitters right now is understanding that the rate market is always going to be volatile. Talking about the interest rates is really irrelevant that, you know, even with this being, uh, you know, finished filming, the market already changed 16 times by the time we put this on the air. So a lot of the interest rate conversation, it, it just needs to come down to giving the buyers or the clients their options, right? Here's your payment. If you rent it, here's your payment with an 18% interest rate. This is affordable, even though it is an 18% interest rate. How can we benefit? How it's still more beneficial than renting at that point. You know, how you it's all custom tailored to the buyer. If the buyer plans on being there for a very long time, then then building equity is still going to be a benefit than than waiting to buy. The biggest challenge that I'm seeing with what you're saying with interest rates is that the there there's two opposite ends of the spectrum. A house will sell in a second or a house sits long on the market. Right. So the good ones, the ones that, that everyone is going for, they go in a second, you know, they're just, they're, they're gone. So the people that, that it changed when it, I can word this, it changes their budget, right? Mm-hmm. Like say it's a, it's a family, you know, a young couple, they want to buy their first house. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're, they're looking at the market, something comes on the market and it's just out of their range. How, is there a way to structure you know, like it fits in their budget. They, they have a certain budget, right? They need to structure their budget in order to afford that house and be competitive mm-hmm. with an offer. Mm-hmm. But the interest rates aren't, aren't allowing that. It mm-hmm. takes their payments over. Mm-hmm. There are different ways to structure um, a mortgage. What are some of those options that they got? So that's an awesome question. So the best way that I've seen the market adapt right now is buy downs. So having the interest rate purchased. Um, at, a, at a lower interest rate, there's a fee that comes along with that, a buy-down is what it's called. But if the seller can pay for that, it gives the, the ability for the client to have a lower mortgage payment using the funds from the seller credit, right? Yes. Yeah, so unpack that for a second. 
when when you say the seller pays for that, mm-hmm. is that's including in the purchase price. So say the the house is three hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. You say three fifteen with a seller credit, right? If your bottom net number, if you, let's just say it like this, if you initially wanted to offer three hundred k without a seller credit, the seller will receive three hundred k without you know going into too much more detail. Like the net bottom is three hundred, right? If that was going to be your initial offer, yes, you would want to add the 3% seller credit to that amount for the seller to still walk away with 300K. Now, if you wanted to have a more aggressive approach, which usually is why many agents don't like to offer this initially, is that you wanna make a 300 offer with a 3% credit, which makes their net less than 300, which is where you'll get the negative feedback from the listing agent. So that's, I mean, or, you know, you have to find that balance, but the goal is to incorporate that 3% seller concession, whether it's at the, at the 300, bringing the net down to 290, call it, or going up to 310 and asking for 10K. Okay. That makes sense. And that can give them a huge advantage on buying down their interest rate. If they plan on staying in their home for a long time, that could make the most sense. In some instances, it could be the complete opposite. They don't plan on keeping this mortgage forever. Why would they spend $10,000 on an interest rate buy down when they don't intend to have that interest rate for more than three years to begin with? And we look at the break even at that stage. It may be more advantageous for them to not accept the credit and to have a higher interest rate. Right. Yeah. What is What difference does that make? Like how much how much can they save per month based I on mean, the buy down? I would say on average between 100 to 200 dollars that that's a very variable figure but i mean without you know i mean i would guesstimate 100 you know i mean it can be vary between 40 to 100 depending on the loan size the credit score the interest rate variations and so on but there is a huge advantage um when it's when it can be in their if it if it makes their payment more affordable if it it's if it's a debt to income scenario and they need to have it set up that way we can do it that way but um you know, giving them the options to make that decision is all I'm there to do. Here's option A, B, and C, which one works best for you? And they ultimately pick and sign on that, right? Um, I don't necessarily say this is the only option. In some instances, it is literally the only option, but I would show them the other options that, you know, maybe in the future we can work on, you know, and a refinance and so on. Okay. Okay, so interest rates are high, okay? Buyers come into the market, they like this house, they take your recommendation, they structure their mortgage, how you recommend them to do it in order to make a strong offer. But like I was saying before, some houses sell in a second, some sit longer. With the seller credit, with the buy down, if a seller sees they got four offers on the table, what helps, what helps those buyers who are getting the seller credit and the buy down and all this, what can they do to be more strongly considered Mm. to the seller? So at least what my team and have done to separate ourselves from the pack is to really um, make the offer as aggressive as possible with timing on closing, right? So having a fast clear to close on the mortgage contingency, right? So securing financing at a faster pace, not necessarily closing the like the transfer of, of property because some sellers may not necessarily want to close right away. In this instance, you know, we would do like a, a fast closing, right? That's one way. Escalation clauses are a really great way to separate yourself from the pack. Having a auto bid when somebody else makes a competitive offer, you'll be notified that they made a competitive offer and there's an automatic rebuttal, you know, of $1,000 on top of that offer, right? And, you know, it goes up to a limit. So that's a really great way to secure 
a property, you know, using escalation clause, I would say shortening your inspection period, having a really quick inspection, and then also trying to, you know, find a way to remove the contingency to sell the property, right? So if we're able to remove that by having them rent out the home that they're trying to sell instead and have them acquire another home, then that allows for them to not have to worry about timing the sale the same day as the closing of the purchase, right? And it gives them the ability to retain property. They may, most of my clients don't even know they don't need to sell their house to buy another one. A lot of them assume that you have to sell in order to buy, but because the interest rates when they purchase were so low, they're almost in a position where it's like, well, I don't want to get rid of my three and a half percent that I got in 2020. Why don't I rent it out, have somebody else pay my mortgage and buy another one at a 6% interest rate or a 7% interest rate, whatever the day is for that, you know, for that rate. But you'll, you'll be paying down your equity in one property and acquiring another one. Your aggregate interest rate is still going to be like 5% for 5% and you have two properties, you know, so that's what I've been working a lot with my, my buyers on because now they have a stronger chance of accepting a property if two of the three pre-approvals are subject to a sale of the property and ours isn't, you know, unless we're cash, we're usually winning. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And for those people that are that are going after those properties that are selling in a day, I would tell them to strongly consider the ones that have been sitting because those are the most negotiable. You know, the seller who's sitting there, he's, he's they're thinking, haven't gotten anything. They're motivated to sell go after those ones you know don't don't just lock into the ones that you that you are multiple offers you know don't put a little sweat equity into it mm -hmm. get yourself a property mm -hmm. don't hesitate for the interest rates and those issues just get yourself something think about long term where do you how long do you want to hold on to the property what renovations can you do you know that kind of thing you know that makes um me want to ask you what is a renovation or a um, an enhancement to a property that you find to be extremely costly, but not worth it in value for the property. Like some people go out of their way to have this in their house or to do that. Like, what is it that you would say is the most ineffective? That's a really good question. I think that the, the answer to your question would be to focus on things that do matter, you know, like cleaning up the place. If somebody comes in there and they see that it's cluttered, like you can look on Zillow yourself, you look at the place that I've been sitting, bulky furniture, there's pictures all over the wall, it's just it sits because nobody wants it. They can't envision themselves there when you have all that stuff in there. So the most costly thing that you can that you waste your money on would be everything else but cleaning up, clean up, clean up the place. Mm -hmm. you know, like Staging then, would you say is worth it? I, in my opinion, I think it's money wasted, but it, in certain circumstances, it is effective. I would much rather, if you're going to stage a property, but the roof is 20 years old, you know, allocate that money towards doing something like that, maybe replacing the AC. Virtual staging is a thing? I, yeah, virtual, virtual staging would be more effective than actual physical staging. Is the pool worth it to sell a house? Yes, especially down here. A lot of the people up north are looking to come down here specifically for a pool. I got multiple people on the list looking for places with a pool, and their search doesn't even include the places that don't pool, have a pool. Pool, but no cage. Pool, but no cage. Is it worth getting a cage? <laughs> yeah, if you live down here, you know the summers and the bugs. Absolutely, yeah. Before selling? 
for you. It's not, I wouldn't say it's necessary. I wouldn't say it's necessary. Yeah, don't don't allocate just, your money that way. I'm thinking that some people think of those things when they're about to list, like, oh, we should get a case. Like, some people's houses look better right before they sell it than the entire time they live there, you know? And so some of these enhancements they're doing just to sell the property, so you wouldn't see that being one of them. What yeah. would you say is another thing? Any, like, do people redo their kitchens just to sell? Totally redo the kitchen. If, if it's dated, absolutely redo the kitchen. But... The main thing, and it always comes down to this, is price it right. That's it. Just price it right. If you don't want to redo the kitchen, if you don't want to redo certain things, you got to understand that just because the neighbor got this much money doesn't mean that you're going to get this much money. Got to understand that. So you're a big listing agent, I would say. You're uh, you're you're on the uh, on the MLS quite a few uh, quite a few times. So what is it that you're doing that's making it easy for your your houses to sell faster? It would be straight up communication, straight up communication and relationship with the seller. Like a lot of people, a lot of people in this business, they have a, a fear of communicating and telling the truth to the seller just to make it seem like, you know, well, I'm not at fault. You know, like if you're getting bad feedback consistently, you got a problem. What's the feedback? Is the feedback that, you know, that there's uh, the house is dirty, that it's not updated, that the, the, the main thing, the roof isn't replaced. Tell the seller this, communicate. So they could, so all parties could understand what is stopping this place from selling. It's that simple. Just as you go, communicate with the seller. And the communication, I think, is the number one thing. Number one thing you got to do. Make that number two. Solid visuals, photos, videos, in the description, and then communication. You got to, you got to be able to communicate with the seller. You can't just throw it on the MLS and hope for the best. You got to give daily updates on what's going on with the property what each showing is saying about the property and that's it you know it's really it's it's difficult to sell a house but it's not that difficult as long as you just go through the steps so what uh would you say is harder or more difficult listings or buyers buyers and so why are buyers harder harder well because the the buyers want a specific property and so do 400 other buyers so you got to like be competitive with the with the offers the buyers aren't willing to pull the trigger as quickly as they were back in the covid days right mm -hmm. they're not they're not just going out there and making offers on properties sight unseen over ask waiving contingencies now they're very specific like they got let's say they got six seven things that they want in a house now they're not making that exemption where they're like okay i'll take away this just to have this and this just to have five things that we're looking for they're like we must have all these these things and that's what's making it difficult is the buyers their lack of inventory lack of inventory is is definitely big at the same time lack of wanting to do anything to a property like you see there's there's a lack of inventory but the inventory some of it has been sitting there for a while and it fits maybe four or five pieces of their criteria out of seven but they're not willing to do a couple things Okay, if you're if you're gonna be into a property for 10, 15 years, get it and do the work. You know, nobody wants to do the work anymore. They want something moving ready, mm -hmm. which is totally cool. I like to call it opportunity cost. Like, what are you losing by waiting to save? You're you're not saving by waiting to save. Like some people are saving for twenty percent down to buy their forever home that has the seven boxes. If they don't have that twenty percent, and the house with the spa, uh, you know, hot tub and the pool in one with a cage and the built out chef kitchen, they're not buying. Well, I mean, how much are you losing in equity by waiting for the perfect case scenario when 
you know, shifting your mindset to let's see if I can find a house that's a starter home that I can put as little money down as possible, leverage the bank's money to acquire a property that, you know, think about it, people who didn't buy in 2020 are missing out on average about $200,000 of equity. I mean, by average, I mean, that's most of my clients are sitting on 200K between when they bought the house in 2020 and when they, and, the, and when they're refinancing now. Yeah, and right. It's a, and they're consolidating their debt. And, and it's an amazing thing. Even with a 6% interest rate, some of them are saving hundreds of dollars just by consolidating their debt into one payment, even with a 7% interest rate, right? But that was because they bought in 2020. They wouldn't have that equity to work with if they didn't make that decision to buy when there was a pandemic. When the end of the world was happening, people were completing real estate transactions and purchasing real estate at the best time, in my opinion, it was insanity. It was the best time. And then after I would say 2021, between 2021 and March of 2022, that's when things started to shift and no one predicted what was going to happen in March of 2022. I'll never forget myself. This is 2020. This is just last year, a month ago, last year. All right. So when you're asking me, you know, where do you see the interest rates going? What do you think uh, the market is headed? Think about this. The same people that I would get my news from that, you know, would be giving me the the reading to do to to make that decision myself. All the spectators, all the 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 newscasters that were predicting what was happening in this market could not predict that the interest rates would go from four to seven percent. Where was the alarms? Right. Nobody said anything to us. Hey, the interest rates are going to go up four points in a matter of three weeks. No one said that to us. We were losing deals left and right because someone's payment went from, you know, uh, X amount to $400 more than it was in, in a matter of three weeks. All of a sudden, we're quoting 7% interest rate. It was unbelievable. And think about it. No one said that was coming because if they did, we would have been ready and it wouldn't have been a surprise. But as soon as it happened, it was it was a whole new market. Everything that everything stopped. My phone stopped ringing for a short, very short period of time. It was absolute. Then there was an adjustment. Then people started talking about the buy down. And now there's the, the lease backs. And now there's the escalation clause. And there's just this overwhelming, it's like always adapting. It's always, there's always something that makes it work. Now there, you know, now there's some um, misconceptions on the 40 year mortgage. They're talking about this with FHA. That's not for purchasing. That's not for purchasing. That's only for refinancing in a dis in a distressed situation. It's called a modification. It's a very very last resort scenario, and it's very specific to specific people. Not a forty year mortgage. There are forty year mortgages that exist for investors, and there's a ten year interest only period. But the average consumer is not doing a forty year mortgage. But I do see that coming eventually. I mean, why not? They did it for the Ford F one fifty, right? All of a sudden, a seven year car loan came out of nowhere. I mean, think about that. Yeah. All of a sudden, the, you know, like, so who's to say there won't be a 10-year car loan? And who's to say there won't be a 50-year loan? I mean, to make the affordability a real thing, if if inflation gets so bad and they want to just stretch it out, who knows? I mean, you could easily, a bank could easily make 40-year the new thing. That I don't see anything wrong with that. So, you know, the 40-year could be a very realistic concept. I mean, and being more introduced into the consumer base, but... It's still less interest than rent, you know, even though the argument is it's basically 100% interest because you're paying very little to principal when you're doing a 40-year loan. You're, you're, you're basically dropping pennies into principal compared to that of a 30-year and that compared to a 15.
I mean, rent is still 100% and you're still not walking away with equity. If I could have it, I would do a 100-year loan like you were, you were you know, I would do a 100-year loan. I don't care as long as I have the eventual ownership of that property. Yeah, that's exactly what I was uh, what I was getting at. Really doesn't matter. I mean, if you sell the property, you just, you know, you pay off the mortgage and you move, you move yeah. on. It really doesn't. But then you have the alternate spectrum where you have the the client that says I can't go a day without carrying a mortgage balance. <laughs> you can't change those people's minds. At that point, I just say, okay, no problem. We'll go ahead. We'll move forward. You want to put uh, 57% down? No problem. We'll go you know, ahead with that. You know, or, um, or you want to pay off your mortgage as soon as possible. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a particular um, strategy as well. There's nothing wrong with that either. It's just a different goal for a different person. That's it. Yeah, there's many ways to structure the loan or to get the property that you want to get. And that's why it's important to have a conversation with your loan officer that gets you into a position where you can make that decision yourself. Yeah, ex exactly. And the, the biggest step the num that people are afraid to do. I know this because before I was in real estate, I just didn't even know where to begin. If I wanted to buy, uh, if I want to buy property, I didn't, you know, where do you get the money from? I didn't even know where to begin. But the first step would be to reach out to somebody like you, somebody like me, just ask the question. Just those are the people that are on the fence, don't know where to begin, don't know what the options are, or even how much a, a payment is. There are a lot of people who are like... WebMDing themselves. Yeah, They're yeah, diagnosing yeah. themselves. Right. Oh, I can't buy a house. Right. Well, right. have you spoken to anybody about it? No, no, no. I just know. Yeah. And the, the, the yeah, the hesitate, the, the, what they're throwing out is like, you know, well, my budget can't afford it. Or who cares? I want to get a Starbucks, that kind of thing. But you don't even know how much you can actually afford. You're maybe the mortgage would be cheaper than the rent that you're paying. You know, the first step is just to just to have the conversation, yeah. pick up the phone. Or let's find out what's something that you can't afford. If you're looking at a $500,000 house, but you don't want your mortgage to be more than $2,000, all right, let's find you a house that has a $2,000 mortgage. It's certainly not that one, but let's find you the first one. Right, what, what are your options here? That's all that we're getting at is what are your options? If you can buy, you should buy what you buy is up to your qualifications and of course your budget. But if you can buy, you should buy. Absolutely. I would say the conversation that I have with my client goes over the loan estimate in its entirety. All right. So we look at your loan amount. We look at your range of interest rate. If they don't have a contract, I'm going between a range of interest rate, right? Same thing goes for insurance. I'm going through a range of insurance, especially now in Florida. Insurance is a hot topic. Okay. You can have very cheap insurance because it's new construction, or if the house is 50 years old, you're stuck with a $400 a month premium just to have your house insured with a high deductible, mind you, you know, and even if you lower your deductible or all the kinds of ways that insurance agents can structure it, you're still stuck with a higher bill. And what they're saying is, from my understanding, is that there's a plan in place to have flood insurance as a requirement, regardless of your flood zone. Really? When did this come out? It's likely to be an act. I mean, it's likely to take full effect by 2025 is what I was told by my, my insurance agent that uh, is the first one to tell me some breaking news like that. So, yeah, I mean, it would be regardless of, but not the same payment, but, you know, just like, you know, car insurance, you need to have insurance regardless of the car, right? So the same thing goes for, you know, now some insurance may be higher depending on the type of car, right? So same thing goes for the house, you know, some insurance, some flood will be more expensive than others, but if you're in a flood zone, You'll have to have flood insurance. If you're not, you will, but it won't be as high if, as if you were in flooded flood zone. But you'll need to carry flood flood insurance as a requirement. Is this a sure thing, or is this by like 2025? I think it, I, I, 
you know, I, I can, we can uh, have fact checkers in the meantime, check it out. But <laughs> if you were to buy a house before this rule comes into effect, is that, no, I think it's going to be something that once you own, you have to. So no, no matter if you buy now or in five years, yeah. you're going to have to carry. So, you know, to go over the loan estimate in the different ranges, the whole point of the loan estimate is a good faith estimate, right? This is what I would anticipate. If you were to purchase this house, this is what your rate could look like. If we decide to float, this is what your rate could possibly be as high as your insurance. This is the range, right? And this gives the buyer the ability to understand the worst case scenario and make the decision on the worst case scenario, rather than being sold all these shiny things. We can do this, we can do that. And then by the end of it, they're looking at a payment that's $300 more expensive because they didn't they didn't calculate flood insurance or they didn't calculate that the home insurance was going to be $400, right? And these are all things a local lender can help you out with, right? Because if you're working with a lender that's out of the state of Florida, for example, and doesn't have an insight on, you know, even just HOAs and how they work down here and having, um, you know, some more insight on the flood insurance, their loan, MS, their loan estimate could be off by $200 or $300, which could easily kill a deal. Yeah, for sure. And that would that would be terrible going into a deal under contract and you find all this out after the fact. I'm actually working on one now with a lender. Wasn't my, wasn't my preferred lender. They're going into the deal. Okay. It's multiple offers and the seller's agent specifically calls me up because we had a very, very solid offer. She calls me up and she's like, I see this area code isn't, isn't Florida. Mm. And I'm like, no, it's, it's by a recommended lender. Mm. And she automatically, you know, that you could hear it in her voice. She's like, she's like, you know, okay, kind of put our offer lower down. So having a local lender is very, very, very important, especially down here. Well, and imagine if that lender called the listing agent and said, oh, it's just my zip code. I moved down here three years ago, but I'm local. I'm right down the street. Looking forward to making this a smooth closing. You know, buyers all good. Underwriting, uh, automatic underwriting shows approve eligible. We have all the documents. Any questions that uh, I can help answer to give you a little bit more reassurance on the on the strength of our buyers? Oh, no, Jonathan, looks like you've answered all my questions. Sounds great. You know, I'm, I'm glad to hear you're you're in the sunshine state. And you know what? That then is the same variables that you reference, but with one change, and that's a phone call to the listing agent. And many lenders don't do that. That's what I, I got to say as well. We're currently working on a deal and the seller's agent, right away, you called the, the seller's agent, which I really appreciate because that makes a big, big difference. It puts a comfort into the, the sell side that you got someone working to get the financing that is communicative is on their game you know they're involved in the process they're not just you know the the loan officer they get it and they pass it on and never hear from them again i've had that i've had that and it's it's a nightmare extension after extension after extension if the seller allows so you know local lender who communicates who's on it difference maker big difference maker especially with an, a multiple offer situation I mean, simply just having the address in the pre-approval letter saying that this pre-approval letter is for this address, not just, uh, you know, you're qualified for 300,000, you know, let me know when you have a contract. Like, no, the lender looked at this home, the tax, the HOA, let's do this thing. And I like to tell my clients, if I put my signature on it, it's closing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one thing I got to say. I don't think I've ever had a, we have not ever had a deal fall through. Yeah, you either tell me yes or no. And I mean, I think um the one that we did when we first came down here was done in like 
10 or 14 business days, something like that? It was quick. I don't, I don't remember, but yeah, it was, it was definitely a couple of weeks. Yeah. 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 Can Man. you still get something done like that now? Yeah. I just finished one seven days manufactured home. Seven days. Seven days. I like to say as fast as business, just okay. electric fast. Yeah. All right. Just get things done in yeah. and out. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Because yeah, the closing date. Yeah. It's the closing date. You almost make it as easy as dealing with cash. Basically. I mean, we can't really say that, you know, as far as like on an offer, you can't write it as cash. But I mean, I mean, to secure financing in two weeks, I mean, in most cases, I'm usually beating title on getting a clear to close, you know, so for um, for that, that's a huge advantage for buyers and sellers just to know that they have their financing secured. They know that they can choose their, you know, furniture that they want. They can pick the paint they want and then just show up to closing. You know, they can plan their life. They can start packing without wondering, is this going to close, you know? And especially when you have an unresponsive lender that takes 45 days average, that's a long 45 days when you're on the fence on what's happening. So I think, um, I think we have a good thing going for sure. As far as our client experience, I mean, the client that we met on, on with, uh, with an online lead generation, um, we went from meeting them to having a application, a pre-approval, a contract you drove seven houses filmed seven houses for an out-of-state buyer under contract within seven business days of that that was the last yeah it was, it was i mean no it was the next day it was it was not even yeah i mean it was so fast i don't even know yeah yeah it was it was insane and that's that's how it is and as soon as we get it you call the listing agent explain how qualified the buyer is and how confident you are that you can get this done in the in the time allowed and that's it. It's done. That's history. I think that was mo there wasn't one more offer sitting on the table. Pretty sure they chose ours because of the communication. Okay, what is the three two one rate buy down? So the three two one buy down is when you are doing a interest rate buy down, or you're paying to get a lower interest rate for a temporary amount of time, right? So you can lose three percent on your interest rate or two percent on your interest rate for the first year the second year and the third year it goes up from there right i believe that loan programs especially are supposed to be specific to the person so in this instance personally i believe a permanent buy down is more beneficial than a temporary buy down right i mean it, it, it's as close as, as it can get to an adjustable rate mortgage without it being an adjustable rate mortgage why put yourself in a position where the interest rate can lead to it increasing in three years and not to mention spending so much money to get an interest rate that low and even if it does get back to your tour towards your principal interest why not have a permanent one because there's so many ifs in that strategy that you're 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 putting yourself in a position where you need to pay attention to your mortgage when you do the three, two, one buy down. So I'm always a big proponent of just do a permanent buy down or don't do a buy down at all. Jonathan, what is a HELOC loan? HELOC is basically a credit card attached to your home. It's a home equity line of credit. It's a line of credit that's secured by your property and you can use it for all kinds of things, but it's a very, very popular program right now. There are a ton of loan officers. I'm getting calls every single day. What separates you from the rest? I would say my conversion, the ability to take a client that is skeptical about purchasing a home 
and having them realize that the dream of home ownership is something that they can make a reality. I think that's what separates me, right? Instead of quoting a, a loan, I'm, I'm closing a loan, you know, instead of quoting a deal, I'm winning the deal, you know, because I think right now you need to have a confidant in your corner who's willing to answer the phone, who's willing to update the loan, who's willing to, you know, be at a phone call distance away to make sure your experience is a hundred percent, especially with the biggest purchase in your life likely. Right. So, um, I would say that would be uh, what separates me is I take a more cons consultative approach versus a sales approach. What is the biggest challenge in the marketplace? Winning the deal that you want to win with inventory being so uh, low right now, when you do find the house, I think the biggest challenge is winning the house that you spent two or three weeks looking for. Right? So with lack of inventory, um, you need to have a really strong offer right off the bat. And so the hurdle is, is really winning the deal. What advice can you offer for first time home buyers? My best advice for first time home buyers is to speak with a loan officer as soon as possible, whether you're ready to buy or you're not ready to buy. The sooner you speak to someone like myself, the sooner you can have a plan and strategy in place to buy a home. How long does the pre-approval process typically take? as long as the client wants it to take. I can finish a pre-approval in a matter of hours and it can take as long as 48 months depending on how quickly somebody wants to move. What is the max debt to income ratio for a mortgage? So depending on the program, there's a, you know, a, a wide variety of different ranges of, of percentages, but the uh, standard is you know FHA at a higher uh, debt to income ratio up to 56.9 and um, conventional, uh, I've seen approvals as high as 49.9. Buyers or sellers market? I like that question. I think, I think it's a buyer's market. I really do. I think it's a buyer's market if you want it to be. Because you can get so much from the seller right now. What advice would you give new loan officers? If you are thinking of quitting, you're quitting six months too soon. Since the market has shifted, what have you done differently in your business? What I've done differently, I can, I can absolutely allocate it to going back to basics, making the phone calls that no one wants to make and just the definition of grinding. And I would say building a pipeline that goes farther than 30 to 40 days, like really pushing hard and not taking advantage of the luxuries of being in real estate, which is a flexible schedule by definition, you know, I think that there's a lot of missed opportunities because people think that, you know, you can work it on the beach when in fact, you know, it's not easy. You got to make these calls. Even if you are on a beach, you got to work. I mean, I, lo I love working on the beach. All right. Best neighborhood right now that you, uh, you're enjoying showing. I love West Chase. I love West Chase. I live in West Chase. I love it. I think it's, uh, it's family oriented. Schools are good. It's got a bunch of parks. What's not to love grocery stores, all that. Mm. What is, um, the most common question you're getting from your buyers right now directed to you. Is it a good time to buy? Is it a good time to buy? I think it's a great time to buy. I think any time is a good time to buy. Just get something that you can afford. Don't be house poor. Maybe you got to make some sacrifices, but it's always a good time to buy. Mm. Mm. Is it always a good time to sell? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. It depends. If you're taking a loss, no, I mean, I wouldn't sell if you I wouldn't advise that to sell if you're taking a loss, but some people are sitting on so much in their home and they're, you know, nickel and diming. Market's good. 
you can't buy a stock down here and it gets up here and then you're you know you're trying to be greedy it might be dipping a little bit but it's still a good market to sell to open house or to not open house uh to open house yeah you have to yeah yeah as, as ridiculous as it may seem you may get zero people to come into the open house but because you get that little no the notification from zillow or realtor.com saying that there's an open house being held this weekend it re-triggers those people who might have had interest at some point be like, hey, you know, this house is still in the market. You know, it's just a notification thing. But from a realtor's perspective, of course, you don't want to go to an open house with zero people sitting there, but you are helping your seller sell the house. Chicago market or Florida market? Florida market all day long. I see these houses from, I still follow people, realtors in Chicago, and I see them selling these houses. And they're like this. They're like, built in 1879, $1.2 million. And it's like, you got... 600 square foot and they're trying to advertise this thing like it's like beautiful like this is this is a box and yeah. it's cold and it's gray nine months ten months out of the year yeah yeah maybe i'm offending somebody but what are you gonna do it sounds like it's more about escaping chicago <laughs> it's it's a it's a it's a mind prison you're stuck in yeah. a box and thinking that you can't go yeah. you just gotta do it or or trying to find a way to leverage financing to have an airbnb in florida that you can one day move to like if your plans of moving to florida are either unrealistic or seem complicated or challenging like there are still other strategies that may allow you to acquire property in florida that one day you could take advantage of right i mean if you were to invest in florida knowing that one day you'll move there then buy that home you know 20 minutes away from the beach and airbnb in the meantime for sure whatever opportunity you get invest in florida because at some point you got to get i out think of florida it. land is gold i really do i agree I, as at the rate at which we're going i mean let's go back to the pandemic okay you saw the mass exodus of the northern states searching for property in florida mm -hmm. It takes one more thing to happen, mm -hmm. one more little mm -hmm. thing, mm -hmm. and property and land in Florida will become unaffordable for uh, the majority of the population. It's very limited land here, very limited, mm -hmm. especially in good areas, and it's still affordable to get your hand on some your hands on some of this good property. Mm -hmm. But if you wait till the next, you're not waiting. You're not saving by waiting to save, and, yeah. and there's a large cost in waiting yeah there is a large cost in waiting yeah. for sure i mean it's 12 months of rent i mean if your payment is two uh two thousand dollars a month i mean that's twenty four thousand dollars poof gone gone for what for what to lock yourself in the no, in the pressure your, your landlord's mortgage yeah yeah right it, it's gone and what's the what's the penalty you know what I mean? Like what's, what's a lot of it, I think is just information. I wasn't taught any of this in high school. Yeah. No, sir. What is it that you're doing that first of all, bringing clients to you and then on top of that, separating yourself and securing the client that does interview you right compared to all the other agents. So what is it that you're doing to get the client? And then what are you doing to secure the client? The market has shifted. No question. Agents are struggling, but that is an opening for an opportunity, okay? If you capitalize on it now, if you provide stellar service, amazing communication, you're going to stick out and you will overcome if you're like where you were saying, if you're willing to put in the work, the hard work and make the calls and, you know, go out there, meet the client, 
one thing one thing for sure is, is this you don't know the opportunity that may come by making an attempt but i'm making the calls whether i like it or not the hard call where the the property hasn't gotten a showing in three weeks you got to make the call what do we got to do we got to drop the price we got to do this to the property you got it's just doing the things that you don't want to do but you need to do do you find more success in listing under or listing high listing under will always get you offers unfortunately the seller doesn't always want to do that. So how do you show a seller the benefits of doing that? Is there any particular way to kind of explain it to them so they can see the benefits of that? Yes. So if you list a property and it's too high and it accumulates market time, it looks stale. So you show the, the comparables, say, hey, this property sold, sold for 540, but they listed it for 520, very similar to yours. Now this property has been sitting still active for sale, listed at 580, same as yours. So how would you like to do this? One way or another, you can sit on it for a long period of time or you can sell it for the same price because the market will dictate what a property is worth. When you see a home that's overpriced, do you think that the agent recommended that or do you believe the client sold the agent that's what they need to sell it at? I believe that the the client told the agent what they or it could be where the where the agent wanted to get the listing, so they're like, oh, I could sell it for this, and they throw it up there for this. What's your initial reaction? My initial reaction is seller wants to do it because you do encounter a lot of people who think they know more than you do, even though they, they sell a house once, twice in their lifetime, whereas opposed you sell a house, you know, quite often, hopefully. But uh, yeah, I think that it's uh, the seller that's trying to tell the, the, the agent what the property is worth. So that wraps things up. Thank you guys so much for watching. If you have any questions whatsoever, shoot us a text, call, email, like, send a pigeon, whatever. It doesn't matter. Just contact us. We're here to help. So, Jonathan, you got anything to I got to say one last thing before we close, all right? I think this is super important for anyone who's on the fence uh, about buying. It's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. So buy today and watch your plant grow. That's what I got to say. That was good. I'm, I'm touched. <laughs> That's perfect. Until next time, guys. Thank you again. All right.